Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. In spirit or in body, as we listen to the word of life from our Lord. Our gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they encountered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first summer that we lived at our house in Michigan, we discovered that the very large 25-foot tree that was off our backyard, about, I don't know, five feet or so into the neighbor's yard, that limbs overstretched our fence into our yard and provided shade. That tree was indeed an apple tree. And I was so hopeful. I grew up 
with apple trees at my house. We had two of them. And in the summer, you could actually go and pick an apple off the apple tree. Now, they weren't as well tended to as the ones you're going to find at Spicer's or Montrose Orchard. But you could still eat these apples. Well, later in summer came, and we discovered this. And this is actually one of the biggest apples we get. Instead of getting good fruit that we could eat, we could consume, we get this minuscule little annoying things that I guess it's good for deer food, but they attract bees, hornets, and they are really annoying and a bit of a pain. However, if you want some, I have about 500 more of these at home right now. Be willing to pass them off. Thinking back is kind of ridiculous to expect that tree to have any good produce. I assumed that it would be a good apple tree. I assumed without having done any research, without asking anyone about it, without doing anything, I wanted to just gain from that tree. And I think when it comes to faith, I think that kind of attitude really captures the core of what our scriptures are all getting at this morning. That when it comes to faith, there are times that we take that cherished faith of ours and treat it as something to be used for our gain. Wanting that good produce to come when we haven't treated it well. Instead, we end up with these. I want you to see that in the text. I want to open up that text and explore it with you this morning. So Jesus is there in the gospel lesson, walking with his disciples. And in Luke, this is the first time they are encountering the Samaritans. Now, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they have a long history of not getting, oops, not getting along. They fought about all sorts of things. They distrusted each other. They did not agree on the right place to worship. And so when here's a group of Jewish people with their Jewish leader, with Jesus, their teacher, coming in to Samaria, and their leader has his base on Jerusalem, which is the place where the Jewish people thought was the right place to worship God at, at the temple there. Of course, they rejected Jesus. I can almost hear the anger spilling out of James and John's mouth in this moment. These were Samaritans, after all. They should be happy that we are just here in their presence. They don't want us. Burn it down. They'll know who the true worshipers are then. Get rid of them. And to this we hear Jesus' first rebuke. It seems so harsh that they would go that far. But we know in Scripture that God has done that kind of a thing in the past. Or put it this way. Haven't we encountered people 
who make a decision about what they want based on their political agendas and then go back into the scripture and find some obscure situation, right? Take it out of context and try to use it for political gain. Notice how what James and John wants just so happens to align with the long-held political stance of the Jewish people against the Samaritans. Is this what you want? Do you want us to shut them down for good? The other side? No. You know, back when I was serving in South Carolina, right before any election, we had this person, this man who had come to our church. And my elders pulled me aside before. I was serving as a solo pastor there. And they let me know, hey, this is what's going on. This is who he is, and this is why he's here. And we'd have worship. And he was nice enough. He'd greet people. He'd, he'd say hello, introduce who he was. And then we wouldn't see him again until the next election. Did he come to worship God that day? Maybe. Did he come looking for a church home, a place where he could use the gifts that God has given him to be able to serve? Certainly not. Did he come to worship to try to sway people politically, using the worship of God's people? Worship like our worship right here today. For political gain? And now faith should certainly inform our politics especially as we wrestle with the Supreme Court's recent decision together, finding ourselves on different sides of that and seeing the struggles of one another on each side. But as we live into our calling to fully follow Jesus in our lives, it's that which should inform all the other parts and overflow into all other areas of our lives including politics, not the other way around. We should start from fully living in faith. Now there is faith, times though, when faith is certainly used for political gain. But when that happens, how can we expect something good to be produced from the using, the misusing of our faith in that way? So Jesus rebukes his followers for this. To follow Jesus, it's not, we don't do it for political gain. So after this encounter, we get the second, how not to follow Jesus in the scripture. The disciples were on the road with Jesus. They were hiking their way to another village when Jesus' second rebuke comes up. We have no context for this person that meets Jesus on the road, but someone comes up to Jesus and shares that he would actually leave everything behind to follow Jesus to whatever place, wherever you're going to go, Jesus, I'm going to go. And I think Jesus' response helps us to kind of pull apart the intentions of that person. Jesus replies here, this is where it says, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
Jesus is telling this person that he isn't going to go to a place to rest. He isn't on his way to his house at the end of the journey. Maybe this person didn't have a home. Maybe they did and they wanted to escape it all. They wanted a new community, new friends. Hey, following Jesus could be a resource. And isn't that the mindset of so many today? There are times when we look at our faith as a way, as a resource for us. A way that, hey, here's a way I can have friends. Here's a way for my children to grow up with morals that I would like them to grow up with. Here is something I can use to, you know, have that family that I always wanted. Here's a way I can be served. And while we do sometimes use our faith to further political agendas, I see this as being a lot more prevalent. Even when it's done unintentionally, it's definitely one to check ourselves against, myself included, every so often, stepping back and thinking about it. You know, following Jesus, there is much to gain. But we don't do that. We don't follow Jesus for the resources. It's not for the friends. It's not for the community. It's not for all that First Presbyterian Church of Flint has to offer you all. We follow Jesus first. Perhaps the way to counter that is to instead evaluate, how can I be a resource for God to use? How can I use the gifts that God has given me, the financial gifts, the time that I had, the talents that I have? How can I use those resources to be a part of what this church's witness is doing right here in the community of Flint. For even in Jesus' remark, it's less of a direct rebuke here in Scripture, but it's more of a refocus. He's not going to a home. His eyes are set on the journey ahead. And so I think when we find ourselves starting to use faith to gain certain resources, it's time to refocus on the mission. Next up in scripture, we have a third what not to do when it comes to following Jesus. First, we don't use it for political gain. We don't use it, our faith, for gaining resources. Here in the scripture, Jesus invites a man to follow him. But he's not quite ready to do so. The man replies along the lines that he's got some business to do back home at first. Now, different scholars debate what is going on here. Some people like to say, you know, if he was really going back to bury his father, he would already be in the midst of that. He never would be out on the road with Jesus. He would, this is an excuse. The burying their father, that's really words to say, you know, I'll wait until I get my inheritance from my dad. I'll wait till I have enough money. I'll wait until I'm financially stable before I fully commit to following Jesus. And conditional discipleship is not the faith that we are called to. 
Another way scholars look at this text is believing that he really did have an obligation at home to bury his father. And it was actually an obligation that kept in line with the law, with the law of their faith, the Torah at that time. It was a way to honor your father and your mother. It was a reasonable request. But it still put conditions on his willingness to follow Jesus. No matter our situation, Jesus' mission is still the same and calls us to follow him unconditionally on that mission of proclaiming the good news. Not when we feel we're financially stable enough to do so. Not when we feel like we've taken care of all those other responsibilities. But now, today, unconditionally. And I think that there's always a bit of temptation to go down that road. For some of us, it's the, you know, I'll follow Jesus. I'll follow Jesus in the way I'm getting back to committing to going to worship regularly when I have children. Or I'll follow Jesus and get back to regular worship when school starts again. Or I'll follow Jesus. I'll give time and talent. I'll give financially when I retire. Or I'll follow Jesus. I'll serve at a mission. I'll, you know, I'll join one of these great missions that this church has, you know, when the kids are older. I'll get back to that spiritual discipline, the one I know that helps me grow with Jesus, with God, that helps me grow fully into following Jesus. I'll get back to that when I have more time and that project is done. Following Jesus isn't something that we can just set aside. We're not supposed to set aside and do it later. It's a now thing. It's not just part. It's not just a, our faith is not just a part of our lives. It's who we are. We are God's people to live fully into that in everything we are at all times and in all ways. And finally, the scripture ends with this fourth what not to do. In this case, we meet a person who simply just wants to say goodbye. Hey, even Elisha got to say goodbye. He went back. But when Elisha went back, what he did is he took his way of life. He took his plow. He took his oxen. His way of making a living. And he didn't just Say, okay, I'm going to work a little bit longer and get this ready and then take care of my kids and then I'll go on the mission that God has for me. No, he made a barbecue out of that. He got rid of it. He made it. He made it so it was impossible for him to go back. Going back was, for that moment was actually a way of committing more fully to the mission ahead of him. Yet for this last person in our gospel text, it doesn't seem like he wanted to go back to just say goodbye. It didn't seem like he was going back to nix any temptation to return. With Jesus' reply, it's as if this man was already looking back and reminiscing on what life would be without Jesus, what he wouldn't have to do without Jesus. For those of us who grew up in the church, we might not know a life 
before faith to reminisce about. But we do see others. We see the soccer moms and dads and the dance moms and dads who don't have to struggle and choose on Sunday mornings. We see those who don't give to God through the church or through other ways and the finances that they don't have to worry about. The temptation is always there. And Jesus rebukes this temptation to look back even going so far to say that if that's the case, you aren't fit for the kingdom. And we're not. We are not fit. How not to follow Jesus? Don't use your faith for political gain, ever. Don't use your faith for personal gain, for resources you might get from it. Don't follow on any conditions with any conditions. And make sure you never look back or try to be tempted about how life would be without Jesus. Wow. I know I have fallen short in several of those areas. We all do. And Romans 3.23 claims that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the scripture doesn't stop. It continues in verse 24 saying, all are justified freely through his grace, through the, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We aren't fit. And that's where grace steps in and holds on to us, catches us, keeps us, and helps faith to flourish through us. Christ's grace says that even though we aren't fit, even though we fall short, even though we don't always follow Jesus fully in the ways that we are supposed to and we know we should, God's got us covered. And Jesus' grace has us. And because of that, we're freed to live for God. And as we live into that calling, to live for God and following Jesus, what we're doing is we're actually aligning ourselves right up with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the Holy Spirit do, does. That is what Holy Spirit does. It leads us to follow Jesus. It moves around us and within us and among us to help us to follow Jesus more and more in our lives. And when we're trying to follow Jesus, when we're committing to more fo fully following Jesus, we're lining ourselves up with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see things like goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. We're going to see that good fruit come from our lives. We're going to see less of things like envy and strife and greed and more love and self-control, more gentleness in our lives, to see that good produce, to see that fruit of the Spirit in our lives, to be blessed with it. It's more likely that that's going to happen when we aren't misusing our faith for our own gain or under our own conditions, but when we're seeking to fully follow Jesus in all we do. And even as we struggle with that, we serve a God who takes 
bad things, even the worst things. Things like the cross. And turns it into ultimate good. We serve a God of the resurrection. We are a resurrection people. I heard of a company this past week who goes out into orchards, local farmers' orchards, and they go and they take fruit that would normally just fall to the ground and rot. Fruit that was considered ugly or fruit from farmers that don't produce enough to sell to the big companies. And they actually save it and are able to use it for good. And it got me thinking. Even when the situations arise where we expect, based on how we've been using our faith, to get rotten produce, our God is one of grace who brings ultimate good even out of the most undesirable situations. God will bring ultimate good no matter what. But when we commit to following Jesus more fully each and every day, we get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And that's really cool. Let us pray. God, you call each one of us in our baptisms to follow you. You don't want us to put conditions on our call to follow you. You don't want us to be tempted to look back on life without you. You want us to follow you fully, not for our own gain, political or for even some great resources that we get for following you. But you want us to follow you. You invite us to be a part of what you are doing in this world. Help us to commit more fully each day into that call. To see ourselves as your people following you through everything we do, through each day this week. Strengthen us and be with us, guiding us through the Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let us stand.